If you're not in Christ, you are not the beloved of the Lord's. Hopefully, we can put the word yet in there. And the hope is that through the teaching of the Word of God, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, trusting in Him and Him alone, by faith alone, that today, through the teaching of His Word, you will humbly bow your very life before the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is our prayer this morning. But if you're a believer here today, you have an enemy. And the enemy is not mankind. The enemy is unseen. The enemy is Satan in demonic forces of evil. So we're going to, our study today is going to be on demonology. Because it's right here in our text. And our text is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, as we prepare to get underway next week in looking at the whole armor of God. And in verse 10, Paul wraps up this letter to the church at Ephesus with finally. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, some of you are going to watch a game today, a little some type of game, the Super Bowl. And in that game, what's taken place this week, the opponents of each team, they've been studying one another. They've been watching hours and hours and hours of game film. They've been watching every stance and every move for every play so that they can come to know their opponent on game day, which is today. Mike Singletary, who played for the Chicago Bears in the 1985 world champion Chicago Bears, was a great middle linebacker. And I read a little article about him in uh, Kent Hughes' books, Kent Hughes' book, um, Disciplines of a Godly Man, and he makes reference in his book to Mike Singletary's book, Calling the Shots. And in that book, Mike said that he would spend three to four hours watching one half of one game, studying his opponent, studying to see how they took their stance on a run play, on a pass play, a screen play. Whatever it was, he studied. And he was one of the greatest middle linebackers that's ever played the game. Now, we as believers have an enemy. God has given us instruction to stand and resist Him. And if we're going to stand and resist Him, we must know how He operates. We must know His lies. We must, must know His craftiness so that we can effectively stand and resist. The only way we can effectively stand and resist is by taking up the whole, the whole armor of God. But the devil is relentless in his attack. And his attack is against the true trial of God the true born-again believer. Jesus said, unless you are born again, you cannot even see the kingdom. Anyone who's a true Christian must be a born-again Christian, said Jesus, because we are born with a nature that is corrupt. 
We are born with a nature that is morally depraved, that is sinful, and that nature must be supernaturally transformed. And the only way for that nature to be transformed is by the residency of God Almighty Himself establishing a relationship with us, the sinner. And those of us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, your sins are washed, they're cleansed because of the obedient work of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who manifests Himself out of glory into humanity. He became a human being. And He met the perfect standard of the Father. Sinlessness. And He died a sinner's death. So if you're a Christian here today, is a reminder, all of the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been placed upon you, your account. Whereas all of your sin, all of your failures, all of your failings in meeting and matching the perfect standard of God was laid upon Jesus, the Son of God on the cross. Therefore, you stand righteous today. Therefore, you are a child of God. And if you're a child of God, the devil's your enemy. The devil and demons hate Jesus Christ. If you are a representative of Jesus Christ, he therefore hates you and will do everything within his power to hinder you from bringing glory that is due to his name and his name alone, Jesus Christ, in and through your life. So we must know who he is. The devil produces lawlessness. He is the lawless one. And if you remember, in the Genesis account, God had one law. It was the perfect law of love for Adam and Eve. To reveal their love back to Him, they had to simply obey. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day that you eat of it, surely you will die. And other than physical death, which took place hundreds of years later, spiritual death was the product of that sin. Separation relationally from God, broken. Broken. That's why Jesus came back to earth to reestablish the broken relationship between God and man as God in the flesh. And to reestablish the broken relationship between man and God as the perfect man. The lawless one, though, is there to dismantle your faith, to bring forth doubt and discouragement. This is the, this is the enemy of God, the rebel of heaven. The author and the foundation of all lies. The liar of liars who masquerades as truth. He masquerades. He is the inventor of every religious system throughout history. Every religious system. God hates religion. He despises religion. Religion is man's attempt to find favor with God, to create God in man's image. Man in his sinful condition wants to say, well, I believe God is like this. And then they fill in the blank. Whereas God says, I have created man in my image, in my image I will bear through man to bring glory back to me, the Creator. There are many who masquerade as teachers of this. They masquerade as teachers of light. They masquerade as false apostles. They masquerade, uh, they, they masquerade rather as true apostles or true teachers where in reality they're false, they're liars. And we're warned of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 that says, false apostles and deceitful workers 
transform themselves into apostles of Christ, and no wonder. For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. You want to take God's word and you want to twist it? They want to take God's word and, and, and attempt to mean something different from what it is? Their end will be according to their works. They will be cast into everlasting punishment. And I've said many times, the reason I am focused on not making you feel good, but teaching God's Word, because some days God will reprove you, some days He'll correct you, some days He'll build you up and edify you, and some day you'll get cut to the bone. Amen? Because the Lord said through James, Beware lest many of you become teachers, knowing we will receive a stricter judgment. So my focus is to make sure that I just bring it right correct as he has declared it as he has defined it so the ultimate objective of the devil is to keep gospel truth from entering the soul of man from gaining ground within individual Christians from gaining ground in nations in peoples he wants to attempt to bring confusion and chaos to the children of God to the very children of God. And the reason is this, that God's Word is always, always characterized by order and perfection, righteousness and truth. Always. And the attack of the enemy is to cause confusion as to the authority of that truth and order. He's wily, crafty. He's not going to do it up in your face. He's going to come through the back door. You've come through an open window. Crafty. He attempts to pluck the strings of excitement that appease our flesh. The sin that's still in us. He wants to lead us into a life of doubt, self-dependence, immorality, spiritual laziness, worldly desires, self-righteousness. He wants to lead us into false doctrinal beliefs. Doctrine means correct teaching. There's all kinds of teaching out there where they say they're teaching from the Bible, but the doctrine is all skewed. The doctrine is all twisted. And the enemy will come in an attempt to cause war between the beloved, the children of God. Division. Turn, if, turn with me to James 4 for the reason why this happens. James chapter 4. And here we see that pride is the source of it, and pride promotes strife. In James chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Okay, now the war, the context of the war here is wars among you, and among you is those that are the beloved, those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Well, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
Whoever therefore wants to make a, be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will free from, flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Double-mindedness will lead you to despair, confusion, and every other, every other evil thing. The adulterers and adulteresses here that James is referring to is the worldliness or the worldly wisdom that draws us away from the truth of God revealed through Scripture. That's what he will attempt to do. And this very thing that God resists is the proud arrogance that wags its head in regard to God's orderly, perfect, righteous truth. This is the pride that God resists. This is the, the pride that God hates. Whereas humility, on the other hand, is something that he responds to. Submission is an act of humility. Submitting to the authority of the Word of God is an act of humility. Verse 7 says, therefore submit to God. Resist the devil, he will free, flee from you. Verse 8, draw near to God and he will what? Draw near to you. He will draw near to you. See, he begins the work. He initiates the work in the first place. He graces us with the ability to believe. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draw him. No one is able to come to me unless the Father draw him. When Jesus spoke those words in John 6, 65, the following verse, John 6, 66, many of those who were following Jesus at the time departed from him and followed him no more. They went out from among him. They were part of the healings. They saw the multiplication of the food, people being healed. They themselves, many of them were healed. When Jesus' teaching got tough, that I am the only way, and by saying some prayer to accept me into your heart, that's not the way to be saved. They left. They left. Now, the only people that are capable of resisting the devil, the only ones, are those that are not children of the devil. Hold on. All people that are not children of God in Christ Jesus are children of the devil, There's, says the Bible. There's two camps. In John 8.42, Jesus is speaking to the religious of the religious of his day. The guys who had the robes, the guys who knew the scriptures, the guys that had the knowledge of the scriptures, the guys who taught the scriptures. Jesus is talking to them. And in John 8.42, he said this, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. The desires of the devil are to do that which is contrary to Jesus Christ. So how many camps are there? There's two. 
In Genesis 3.15, when God cursed the serpent, he cursed the earth, he cursed the man, he cursed the woman. When he cursed the servant, when he cursed Satan that day, he said this, I will put enmity between you and the woman in between your offspring and her offspring. Those who would become true believers and those who would not. How many camps? Two. In Matthew 13:38, Jesus said in the parable of the tares, the field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. How many camps? Two. In 1 John 3, verse 10, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. How many camps? Two camps. The only ones that can practice righteousness are those who've been made righteous in Christ. Now, there's no Christian that's ever lived that is perfectly outwardly obedient. Amen? Take a deep breath. But your position in Christ, because of the imputed righteousness of Christ, which means all of the righteousness that was in Christ, who met the standard of the Father in human form, was placed upon your account when he went to the cross. So when God looks at you, he sees perfect, flawless righteousness in position. That's your position in Christ. We're able to live out what we are in Christ when we walk and abide in Him and He in us. When we walk in obedience. Amen? And we're able to walk in obedience because we can. Because He resides in us if we're believers. Unless you're in Christ, you do not have the power to resist the devil. Anyone who is not a Christian is a child and a slave of sin and Satan himself, saith the Lord. But it's likely most people who are slaves of Satan, as you and I once were, you don't even realize it. That's how subtle he is. That's the lie. You can feel good. You can look good. You can go to church. You can say the name of Jesus. You can read your Bible. You can carry a big Bible. You can carry a Bible bigger than the, next guy next, the guy next to you. You can raise your hand, say hallelujah and amen, and not even be a believer. But those of us who've been delivered from the bondage of sin, slavery, deception, and lies, may we not forget where he brought us from. And for a reminder, go back to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Context is for the believer who God, by his grace, has granted faith to believe. And in chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 1, and you he made alive who, past tense, were what? Dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's the prince of the power of the air? But Satan himself. Satan. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, here's the big but. This is the but you want in your life. But 
God, who's rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Grace, unmerited favor, you do not deserve it, and I certainly do not deserve it. But by the unmerited favor of the sovereign God of the universe are you made right in Christ. Rich in mercy by His grace, transformed us who were, verse 3, children of wrath. And He made us, verse 5, alive together with Christ. We've been set free. Is being a child of the devil. Free. Now, as children of God, in Christ Jesus, Satan is now your enemy. He was not your enemy before. He is now. Because Satan <coughs> and demons hate Jesus Christ. Although their theology is perfect. They know their theology. They know the Bible. And they know what it means by what it says. In James it says, even the demons believe in what? Tremble. Intellectual agreement with the gospel of Jesus Christ <clears throat> doesn't get you saved. He's our enemy now. He's the enemy of God, and he's the enemy of all who are in Christ Jesus. So in order to defeat, the, to defeat this enemy, we have to know who he is and where he is and how he operates. Amen? And it's important that we do not get fooled by mistaken identity. Look at uh, uh, Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but spiritual forces of wickedness, right? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The fact is we're in a struggle. We're in a war. It's an unseen war, but we're in a war. Now, the, this war has been won, but the battle goes on. It was won at Calvary. Calvary is where Jesus was crucified. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. We wrestle. This word wrestle is a term which means hand-to-hand -hand struggle. It means to maneuver or to trick. Like if you were a wrestler, right, in high school, and you would go up, fake up, go down, whatever you did, you would try to trick your opponent. You would grapple up, you throw to the ground, you try to trick him and maneuver him to pin him. That was the goal. We're in a wrestling match. Just as Satan and his little horde of demons, which we'll learn a little bit now about in a, in a minute, attempt to maneuver and trick you into a place that will cause dishonor to our master and hinder you in faith and trust in him to where you begin to trust in yourself, fall prey, P-R-E-Y, to the world system and the fleshful desire that is still in us that we need to root out and cut out. Flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, believer. Galatians 5. And these are contrary to one another. Can I get a witness? Amen. Oh, Paul says, the wicked man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Those things I want to do, I don't do. The things I hate doing, those things I end up doing. Right? But by God's grace can we stand. But by God's grace can we get up. But by God's grace can we move and walk in a manner that resists the devil and brings glory to Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. Right? That's why we're here. To rejoice in what he's done. So verse 12, 
We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Here, these are the pawns of the devil. Flesh and blood are the pawns. So it's not a battle against mankind. It's, it's not a battle against those who uphold these false religious systems. The real battle is the one behind it. The real battle is the one who's pushing forth these ideologies and, and these philosophies and these re reasonings and religions that are contrary to the truth and order of Christ in His Word. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 3. And here we again, again see that the battle that we face is not of the flesh. And Paul says, beginning in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Stronghold here is a, a reference to the towers or the raised parapet walls of ancient battles. Here, it represents arguments in every pretense and every sham that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, against the knowledge of His one and only way. There's one God, He has one way. God is not some hub. And all of these different religious systems lead to God so long as you're serious and so long as you're sincere. That's a lie from the pit of hell. We serve one God. God has one plan for man to be saved, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the door. He's the door of the sheepfold. These strongholds here and made reference of in 2 Corinthians are not demons. Okay, they're not demons. But these are the very ideologies, the arguments, the reasonings, the religions, the false gospel that are brought about through man. The source of which is Satan. Man is just the pawn. He's the pawn. So the, the imagery here is that of a stronghold that's been broken down. It's been broken down and it exposes those that are sheltered behind its walls. And then Paul's argument is not only to demolish the false arguments, but also to bring, to bring people's thoughts under the lordship of Jesus Christ. As we're going to learn as we study the whole armor of God, it's a battle for the mind. It's a war between the ears. And emotions are attached to that as well. Every piece covers your whole thinking and emotional system. All of it. Satan's helpers here are referred to as principalities, powers, rulers, spiritual wickedness, and high places. One Bible commentator by the name of Charles Williams translates it like this, and I quote, For our contest is not with human foes alone but with the rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers of this dark world, that is, with the spiritual forces of evil, challenging us in the heavenly contest. Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. 
We are sojourners, believers, pilgrims, passing through this physical world. The real kingdom is in you, Jesus said. In one day it will be a literal kingdom. One day we will be home with our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The saints, that's who we are. If you're a Christian, you're a saint. A saint. Satan and demons, they're not omnipresent. God is the only one that's omnipresent. Satan and demons cannot be everywhere at once. Satan cannot be more than one place at one time. They're not omnipresent. They're not omniscient. Only God is omniscient, meaning He has infinite knowledge. Only God is. Satan is a created being. He's a creature. Demons are creatures. They're spirit creatures, but they're created spirit creatures. Now, when Satan rebelled out of heaven, Revelation 12, verse 4 says that he swept one-third of all the created angels with him in his rebellion. It says his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth, Revelation 12, 4. They followed their leader, who's the devil. So who is the devil? Where did he come from? His earthy, earthly craftiness began in the garden, the lawless one. That's where it began. He deceived Eve. Genesis 3.1 says that the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. Now some will attempt to teach that a talking serpent indicates that the garden account was, was mythical. But Jesus alluded to this account in John 8.44 when he said regarding the serpent, the devil, that he's a liar from the beginning. A liar from the beginning. God did not create a bad serpent. Okay? God did not create Satan as evil. As a matter of fact, Genesis 1.31 says, God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day, chapter 2, verse 1 of Genesis, thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And if they were all finished, he said, it is all good. It's all good. And if there was rebellion in heaven, would that be good or would that be bad? That wouldn't be good. It wouldn't be good. So as we compare scripture with scripture, we see that this serpent was Satan masquerading. And he is, after all, the master of disguise. The master of disguise. And he's often referred to as the serpent. In Revelation 12, verse 9, says that so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. He's also known as the tempter, the accuser, murderer, liar, the sons now working or the, the spirit now working in the sons of disobedience. He's known as the sinner, the imitator, the old serpent, the great dragon, the roaring lion, the evil one, the anointed cherub. The prince of the world, the prince of the power of the air, the god of this age, and the prince of the demons in Luke 11:15, 52 times he's called Satan, which means adversary. This is his most common title. 35 times he's called the devil, or diabolos, meaning slanderer. He's a liar. He slanders God's people, as we'll see. He's known as Abaddon or Apollyon, meaning angel of the abyss. 
He's ruler of the great force of demon beings. They've been around a long time and they're invisible. They're wily, they're cunning, they have superhuman knowledge and power, and they have very good theology. You know, there have been men who've written great um, theology commentaries that were unregenerate, meaning they were not born again. There'll be people who great, wrote great volumes that were theologically and doctrinally sound who will be in hell. Jesus said himself in John chapter 7, on that day when I return, many will cry out in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do this, 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 this in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You cry out saying you knew me, but I don't know you. Deception. Deception. We know that uh, the Genesis account doesn't refer to the fall of Satan from heaven, but other portions of Scripture do. They give us some insight. So if you would, turn to the Old Testament to Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel 28. If you get to Isaiah, then you go to Jeremiah, Lamentations, and then Ezekiel. And in verse 28 of Ezekiel, we see what is known as the lamentation for the king of Tyre. So this lament over the evil king of Tyre actually reaches beyond to the real, the real supernatural source of the evil king, which was Lucifer or Satan himself. In verse 11, chapter 28 of Ezekiel. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. It's the word of God speaking. God speaking here. If it's scripture, it's the word of the Lord. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Unimaginable beauty in the midst of God's glory. In the center of the midst of God, here's this covering cherub, the most beautiful of God's created beings, of His creation, this beautiful covering cherub, unimaginable beauty. And He lifted His heart up because of His beauty. How do you see yourself? How do you see the beauty that God's given you? How do you see the talents that God has given you? How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as yourself, as the source of yourself? Or do you see everything as being from God, as a gracious gift? Because if you see yourself 
as Lucifer sees himself, you also will puff yourself up and become corrupted in wisdom for the sake of your splendor? Or do you bow the knee in thanks for the one who granted you by grace all that you are? Notice here, in verse 13 at the end it says, The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. The word timbrels here means to make music is with a tambourine. Pipes is a technical term for a jeweler's work, meaning a socket or a groove or a setting. So many scholars agree that perhaps this is a reference to Satan's being once in charge of all the heavenly worship that was designed to be given to God and God alone. It was grooved out for him, created for him with all of this beauty to take all of the worship of the heavenly hosts and pass it on to God alone who deserves it. But what did he say? I'll take it for myself. I'll take it for myself. And if you turn now back to Isaiah, we'll see where he lifted himself up and said, I will. Isaiah chapter 14. In Isaiah 14, we see the, the fall of Lucifer. We see the five I wills of Lucifer. In verse 12, Isaiah 14, Oh, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning! How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations! For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. You know that death awaits those who attempt to be God? You know that hell in the lake of fire was created for Satan and those who will follow him? Satan and the demons, that's who it was created for. Unfortunately, anyone who's a child of the devil doesn't repent before the God of glory and the God of the universe is a follower of him. And that's where he ends up, the depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, Is this the man who made this earth tremble? Who shook the kingdoms? Who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities? Who did not open the house of his prisoners? Lucifer means shining one. The cherub who covers one step away from the throne of God. He attempted to take over the throne, literally. Imagine the creature attempting to take over the throne of the Creator. Jesus said in Luke 10, verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. This is the very essence of pride. This is the birth of pride. The thing in which we most greatly struggle with and are tempted with is, you know what it is? The source of all sin? Pride. Pride. Come on now. You know, this is why in 1 Timothy 3, verse 6, when Paul is instructing Timothy as to leadership in the church, he says, don't lay hands on any man too swiftly. Because if he's a novice, 1 Timothy 3, 6, May he not be a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as, as the devil. 
you know, so many aspire to the role of biblical teacher or whatever without first living out or being the role. They just want people to lay hands on me. I want that role. I want that position. But there's pride, you see. We're to watch and to pray. We're to read and apply God's Word to our very lives so that we're unable to stand and resist this crafty, wily, liar, manipulator, murderer from the beginning who hates Christ and hates you. In Daniel chapter 10, you don't have to turn there, but Daniel's praying for God's divine purpose. We're called to fulfill God's divine purpose. Amen? If we're God's children, if we're saved by grace, He has divine purpose for each one of us. So Daniel's praying for divine purpose. He, he's been given this incredible vision that, known as the 70 weeks of Daniel. And he is absolutely overwhelmed, doesn't understand it. It's a prophetic, heavy prophetic vision. He's so overcome by it that he feels nauseous. He prays. And God sends a messenger from heaven, an angel. And that messenger on his way is caught up in a heavenly war that's unseen by Daniel. And it takes three weeks for him to even get there. And then in Daniel chapter 10, verse 12, says this, The messenger of God said this to Daniel, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. So this reveals demonic forces that were an oppressive influence over a nation. I don't think it's any different today. I don't think it's any different than cities or neighborhoods. You know that? You can go into Rancho Santa Fe, and I've been into some of the richest homes that you'll ever lay eyes on. And there's just a sense of just cold deadness in many of them. It's the whole area. It's just cold deadness. There's such a deceit with worldly riches. If God's blessed you with money, be a good steward. Enjoy it. Be a good steward of it. But there's people who aspire to that. They're consumed with it. They get it. And they're empty. Hollywood. All kinds of, element and light, elements of light in Hollywood. It's all false light. It's lies. It's a deception to draw you into fame, fortune, and everything that goes with it. Nothing there. You go to third world countries. You have demon oppression that, that, that causes people to fall into black magic and all kinds of supernatural weird stuff happens because they're not swayed or moved or caught up in entertainment like we have here because they don't have it. So they'll focus on something else and they'll worship something and then that something starts to elevate which increases their faith in that thing keeping them from the truth. Powerful. You ever been praying for someone that's a non-believer in your life? And it seems the more you pray for that person, the hard, more hard-hearted they become. The more you pray that God would open their eyes and breathe into them spiritual life, the more callous they become, the further away they seem to get. The more they bark out, the more full of anxiety they get, and the more full of anger and rage they get. You ever seen that? The war is on. The war is on. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, if you throw a stone into a pack of wolves, the one who barks the loudest 
is the one who was hit. Many times when you're sharing that glorious, powerful, mighty Word of God in the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the true Gospel, it's offensive. It bites. If God's doing a supernatural work that we can't see, the opposition may come through physical force against you, ridicule against you. They'll resist it the loudest. They might be getting hit big time by the conviction of the Holy Spirit in their life. On the other hand, you have people that are just passive. Oh, I don't believe in you, Jesus, but you know what? Jesus is just all right with me. Oh, yeah, I'll go to church with you, sure. All roads lead to Him. Right? They're very passive and they're probably more deceived. Cults, deceived. The Jesus of Jehovah's Witnesses is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Mormons is not the Jesus of the Bible. There's power in the name of Jesus. It's a draw. When Satan packages up a, a, a package of lies, he packages that package full of lies, he puts a lid on it, and then there's a bow of just a small amount of truth. Otherwise, it wouldn't be attractive. He disguises himself as an angel of light. Light. Now, for the believer, we've been delivered from this. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Remember that but against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We do not have the resources in and of ourselves to oppose the devil, to stand alone against him. When Satan attacks, you don't have to go running after him. You don't have to go calling him names. You don't need to begin to curse him. As I said last week, I've been in prayer meetings. People are praying to the Lord Jesus Christ, praying to God the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you think, and then they start talking to the devil. Devil, you're a punk! As a matter of fact, we're going to chain you up and bind you right now. We cast you out the window. There's no, we are not commanded to do that. That's not even biblical. We have no power in mouthing the devil. Remember back in Deuteronomy, back in chapter 34, Moses died. Guess who buried Moses? God did. In Deuteronomy 34, verse 6, Moses died and God buried him in the land of Moab and no one knows his grave to this day. You know why I think God buried him? Those Israelites would have got together, they would have mummified him, put him in a box, they would have propped him up and they would have worshipped him for who knows how long. God buried him. And when God buried him, there was an unseen war that went on for that body, the New Testament tells us. And in Jude 9 says this, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring an accusation against him, being Satan, but said, The Lord rebuke you. There was a struggle. There was a war. Anything to keep people from truth. The devil will do anything to give you something that temporarily satisfies Without faith, it is impossible to please God. The devil will come to attempt to dismantle, believer, your faith. To the non-believer, he's already got him. All he needs to do is keep the truth from him. But faith for the non-believer only comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Not by methods. Not by entertainment. By the truth of Scripture. Don't mess with a dominion you can't comprehend. 
You don't need to talk to demons. They will all intellectual, out intellectualize you and I, all of us together, in a heartbeat. Our power, our protection, and our wisdom comes from the whole armor in God's Word, you see? That's the only way you can stand and resist Him. He will trip you up and trick you out faster than you can blink. Come on, for those of you who have been tripped up and tricked out, amen? Which is all of us. Here's the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ regarding the church. Matthew 16:18. He said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. <clears throat> Just as you can't fight him in your own strength, you don't need to fear him either. You, as you're a Christian, you do not need to fear the devil at all. Simply be mindful of his lies, mindful of his de deception and his attacks, and the only way that you can be mindful of it is to know the Word of God. People at the Treasury Department who, who, who find um, counterfeit money, they don't study counterfeit money. They study the real money. And that way they see the counterfeit a mile away. You study the Word, you know the Word. We're called to test all things in light of... Scripture. Hold fast. Hold fast to that which is good. Hold fast to that which is true. If you don't know what's true, you can't discern what's not true. Truth is absolute. Truth is absolute and it's in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone according to His Gospel. The physical world is only used by spiritual forces as a means to their end. And it's to keep the true gospel out of unbelievers' lives, and it's to trip up believers to appease their flesh and draw them away in their pride, away from the truth, so that they hinder the glory, ascribe glory due to God's name in and through their life. Because you don't look like a believer, he wants you to get he wants to get you to look like and act like and live like and smell like and talk like an unbeliever. No light. Okay, next. You see? You can't take away your salvation if you've got it. If you have true salvation, you can't lose it. Remember we've said many people think they had it and they never had it. First John 2. Context is teachers of the truth. They went out from us because they were never really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But because they went out from us, it proved that they were never really of us. That's what it says. So the battle we're in is a life or death matter. Heavy battle. And, and keep this in mind also, brothers and sisters. Nothing, nothing, be it good or be it bad, that is allowed to happen in your life. Now, Satan will attempt to, to draw you into sin. Okay? That's our fault. If we fall into sinful patterns of life that end up appeasing our flesh and bringing no glory to God... We've allowed him that territory. Okay? The only power he has over you, believer, is that which you allow him to have, as far as sin goes. Now, as trials come and go in our lives, God, guarantee you, if you're a believer, God will allow trials into your life. Did you know that? If there's no trials in your life, you might want to check to see if you're in the faith or not. Because if you're a believer, you're either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or you're getting ready to go into a trial. Amen? It's just, that's life. It's a spiritual war. As far as trials go, God will allow certain things in his, in his sovereign will. Here's God's sovereign will. God has his sovereign will and he has his commanded will. Within his sovereign will, there's things that happen in everyday life that he allows to happen that he hates. 
children being abused. God hates it. God will judge it. And He does judge it. Someone getting cancer. Someone, a Christian, losing a loved one. I mean, all of these things are allowed to happen. The devil will come when the trial is set up in a person's life to hone them and to shape them, to grow them in the greater grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the Satan will come and try to twist the trial into a temptation. To not trust God, but to trust in your own means, in your own ways, in your own ideas that are contrary to Christ, you see. There's things that will happen in your life that God will allow to happen. And God will even allow Satan perhaps to do things within his sovereign framework for his glory and your growth and benefit if you're in Christ. Illustration, Job chapter 1. Just before Psalms, Job chapter 1. Now, we're, we're, we're about to look at a, a cosmic war that was going on in someone's life of which they had no idea why, how, or what was happening. They knew what was happening, but they didn't know why, and this was Job. Now, the Bible says that Job was an upright man. He was a blameless and upright man. He's one who feared God. He shunned evil. So here's a man who loved God, who shunned evil, and then, oh, whoa, why would this evil then be allowed to take place upon him? In our humanity, that's what we typically ask, right? <clears throat> Woe is me, why, why, why? Now, there's many things that have happened in many of your lives that you don't understand. Many things that were evil. And you know what? You don't really have, you don't have to understand. It's totally understandable. God may in His grace allow you to see it somehow. Maybe He'll use you to minister to someone else at a time in your life where God brings a person who's going through the very same thing. Or perhaps you'll never know until you get home to be with the Lord. I know it's painful, but be careful not to allow bitterness and resentment to set in, you see. Let God's grace cover you. Let God's grace fill you. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Let Him fill you up in these areas and let Him put forth the healing that He wants to provide. But you don't have to understand. Because we're not going to understand all things. Only God does. Amen? So what happened in Job's life, take a look at what was going on in verse 6. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan... Notice who initiated the conversation, by the way. It was the Lord. God is the one who's sovereign, not Satan. Satan can do nothing, as you'll see, unless he's given permission. Where do you come from? God asks a question. He will answer. So he does. So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, from walking back and forth on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him on all the earth, a blameless and an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from him in the presence of the Lord. And then you know what happened. You know the rest of the story. All hell breaks loose on the life of Job. He loses all of his life. He loses all of his riches, all of his livestock, all of his property. And he loses his dear family, his children. He still has his wife. He still has his life. 
chapter 2. Now, he lost all that in a day. Chapter 2. Again, there was a day. And if you remember prior to this, in verse 21 of chapter 1, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There's a guy with an eternal perspective of life. Amen? Then look what happens. Verse 22, In all, all this Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. He did not become embittered towards God. And then the heat gets turned up. Chapter 2. Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Satan answered, and he said, from going to and fro on the earth, walking from back, back and forth on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on all the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has he will give for his life, but stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your hand, but spare his life. He had power granted to him, but only so much. And all of this was for the glory of God. His physical body, that guy suffered. You know the rest of the story. He suffered. His friends came, they sat next to him for seven days. They did a real good job because they didn't say anything. If you have a friend going through a very difficult time and you feel as though you have to have some word, you don't need to say anything. Just go be there. Just be there with them. Very comforting. Very encouraging. And there's been people I've been with who've had people in their life die before their very eyes. I was just there. I was just with them. I didn't have anything to say. What am I going to say? Unless they ask. And I found out later from them that it was the most encouraging thing to them during that time was just me standing in the hall for hours on end. Was it? Just be there. Just be there. God initiated this conversation revealing His sovereign rule and sovereign reign. God is sovereign. We're not going to understand everything. Job didn't understand it. But if you remember, if you remember his wife's response, curse God so that He'll end your life. Curse God and die. Because once you blaspheme Him, He'll just take your life out from under you. Just curse Him. Get it over with. That's exactly what Satan attempts to do against the church of Jesus Christ. He wants us to live a life that causes the enemies of God to blaspheme the name of God because of those who profess God with their mouth. Come on, somebody. So, to overcome this, we must remember... See, another thing that the demons know, the demons and the devil know the fact of Matthew 16 18, that the gates of hell will not prevail against this church. They know that. But they also know this. They know that if they can get a Christian, especially Christian leaders, to give themselves over to methods and entertainment rather than the sound teaching of God's Word, that they will produce soft, ignorant, powerless baby Christians running around their entire Christian lives sucking on milk. Baby Christians their whole life, 25-year Christians, sucking on spiritual milk. Powerless, ineffective to move forward with the kingdom as kingdom people. 
And man, he can't, like I said, nothing about the salvation. He can't do anything about it. He can go like this. He can wash his hands. They are an impotent church. They're an enabled church. They are totally enable and incapable of bringing glory to the one I hate. I've done my job. I will move on to the next. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand and resist against the tricks, the wiles, the schemes of the devil. Amen? See, the, the mystery of the Christian faith is fighting this fight as a perfectly justified, forgiven, declared free from all blame, sinner saved by grace. You guys, we are fighting from victory, man. Not trying to gain it. We're fighting from it. We live in the shadow of the cross, Calvary. His grace saved you. His grace covers you. His grace upholds you. And He sustains you to enable you to walk in it. In power. Powerful. Resurrection power. Amen? Power. Let's not lend ourselves to the wiles of the enemy by submitting to his ploys and his tricks and the temptations that he brings, you see. Remember your justification? Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. We spent months understanding justification, sanctification, and glorification. If you are in Jesus Christ, and if you're not in Christ, listen to this very carefully. You are a sinner. You were born a sinner. You were born with a nature that is dead set against God. You were born with a nature that's contrary to God's. And because of that nature, you sin. That's what you do. That's what sinners do. They sin. Amen? We sin because we're born sinners. We have a nature that's corrupt, totally defiled, totally incapable of matching and meeting God's perfect standard. God's perfect standard, if you want to get to heaven, you have to meet the standard. It's to live a perfectly holy, blameless, sinless life. Good news or bad news? That's bad news because your nature won't allow you to ever meet that standard. That's the bad news. And if you're a Christian, you understand that. The moment you understand that Jesus Christ came out of heaven, took on the form of humanity, this is God becoming a man, not some man we made God. He became a human being. He lowered himself to become a human being. And he met in perfect human obedience God's perfect standard, sinlessness, in every stage of life from infancy, from conception to infancy to adolescence to adulthood, right to the cross. He did it in place of those who would believe. So, when He laid down on the cross, all of your sin was placed upon Him, so the wrath of God, which has to be met, which has to be appeased, when unleashed upon the Son. God's wrath has to be appeased. That's why Jesus is known as our propiti the propitiation to the Father, which means satisfaction. He satisfied the wrath of God. And he took the wrath of God as though he committed every sin of every person who would ever believe. Laid on Jesus. And in that's in his place. He took it. What you get in return by bowing your life, repenting of your sin, and submitting your life to his lordship, you get all of his righteousness. How perfect is his righteousness? Perfectly holy. So that's placed on your account. So when he sees you, believer, he sees you as perfectly holy. And if you're not a believer today, if God's prompting your heart, you can't come to him unless he allows you to come to him. You can't come to God. You can't come to Christ unless God the Father just takes your heart and transforms your heart. You must repent and believe. And then you get all of his righteousness. 
And you come to understand that he took all of your sin. And because you're justified, which means to be declared free from all blame, one day you will be, say it, glorified. You're saved from his wrath. You're saved by his grace. And you're saved for him to spend eternity with him in perfect fellowship. Justification, glorification. Okay, now here we live in the middle of, in the, middle of the two, which is known as sanctification. The moment you're born again, the moment you become a believer, He sets you apart. To be sanctified means to be set apart. The work He began in you, He's faithful to what? Complete. So all of the righteousness that He worked in, He will work out. So as I abide in Christ, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, submit myself to Him in obedience, He makes you more outwardly that which you already are inwardly, which is perfectly what? Righteous. This is where we battle from, guys, the place of justification. We fight the war from the place of victory. We fight it from victory. And if you get sanctification and justification mixed up, you'll say this, okay, I need to go fight this battle, and once I overcome this sin and that sin and this sin in my life, then God will accept me. If you think like that, you're already a dead duck. Because if you're a Christian, you know, man, I've already been forgiven. I've already been cleansed. Therefore, because I've been forgiven and he loves me so much, in a loving response to him, I'm going to live a life that reflects his goodness, his grace, and his power and his might. So I'm living from grace instead of trying to find his favor. You see the difference? That's where the power is. The power is in the cross. It's at the cross. John Piper, he was talking about people who mix up sanctification and justification. He said this, and I quote, My sins, all of them that I hate, were covered by Jesus. Therefore, when I make war on them, I know that they are already defeated, already covered, and already punished. Those are the only ones that I can get victory over. But if you think as you look at your life here, are the sins in my life, and I'm going to attack them, I'm going to defeat them, so God will accept me. If that's your thinking as a Christian, you're dead. No power. So, flip the script. Know that you're forgiven. Know that you're cleansed. Understand that the perfect righteousness of Christ covers you if you're in Christ, and then live from it. And your response will be a gracious, Oh, God, thank you for your grace that you deem me righteous in your sight. If you come to faith in Christ alone, by faith alone, you're forgiven. You're new. You're his child. You're no longer an enemy of God. You're no longer a child of the devil. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, and I'm wrapping up right now. And then we're going to take communion. But let us who are of the day be sober, which means alert and attentive, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath. You're never going to be judged for your sin, believer. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. See, if you live with an understanding of your justification, the thankful appreciation to God in Christ ought to be the driving force of your sanctification. To become outwardly that which you are inwardly. You see? When you think like that, and that's the essence of the whole armor. The essence of the whole armor, guys, is getting your lives 
in the order of the righteousness that you already have in Christ. Then you'll have victory. You'll hear the lies. You'll know the lies. You'll see the lies. So we live from victory. And we take up the whole armor of God. You see, Satan wants to manipulate the external enemy. That's the world system. He wants to manipulate the world system. And he wants to, he wants to manipulate the internal system, which is the flesh. Right? That's this, the part of you that just still wants to just do evil. You still have it. You're not practically perfect. You're only positionally perfect. You're not practically sinless. You're just positionally sinless. You see? And by understanding my positional forgiveness and righteousness in Christ, I will want to live out what I already am inwardly. So you don't have to fear the devil. Know his poise. Know his lies. Know the enemy. Like the NFL guys. Hit repeat, 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 repeat and watch him. This is how he came at me last time. Well, he might not come at you like that this time. The more you grow in maturity in Christ, the more subtle his temptations become. Amen? And then we'll close with this. 1 John 4.4 4. Believer, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You've got all the power. You have resurrection power. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, believer. Dwells in you. And as the men hand out communion, and we get ready to close, for those of you who are still an enemy of God, I plead with you today, if God is pumping and pounding your heart, you just heard the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Repent, which means to have a change of thinking, and believe. Repent. Turn from the way you're going now and turn to Christ and be saved. He will begin to do the work in you and He'll complete the work in you. And then tell your friend today, whoever that friend is who's a believer, that today I called on Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We praise You for Your power, Your goodness, Your grace. And the blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, may we, as redeemed sinners saved by grace, understand the price that was paid, understand the forgiveness that was dispensed to our account, the righteousness that was imputed to us. May we understand it and may we live from it. And may our lives bring glory to you, the glory that is due to your name. And I pray for my dear brothers and sisters here today. Dear God, empower them. Enable them to realize they have all the strength they need in Christ. They have the perfected love of Christ in them. They have the peace that passes all understanding, that we do not need to fear the enemy. We're simply called to stand and resist him. Help us to prepare our minds to understand the whole armor of God so that we can take it up effectively day after day after day. And for those of you here today, Lord, those who are here today who don't know you, I pray on their behalf. And I pray that you breathe spiritual life into them and bring them into your family that they'll understand the price that you pay and enable them to believe the living Word of God that will transform their lives. Always for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.